Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Pastor John is in the middle of a sermon series called Dead Prophets Society, and so many of you have been hearing about this movie that was this sermon series is somewhat based on, and we're going to be using a clip from this later in the service, but this sermon series is after this movie called Dead Poets Society, and my clicker is not working. What am I doing wrong, Wes? It's just one of those days, huh? We've run out of oil in the lamp. We've had electricity go out. The whole teen section right here is uh, gone. Uh, I'm going to have you work on that because I would love to be able to click through these moments together. This whole section right here, we have 80... It was off. Ah, nice. There's that famous uh, gif of the, of the guy going, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, you can do that if you would like to tweet me with that. Um, <laughs> uh, and so, in fact, uh, as I kind of transition, as I catch my breath from that moment, uh, would you be in prayer for the 85 students and sponsors we have at New Life Ranch as they head back from their fall retreat? Uh, my sixth grader is on her very first youth group trip. McCall is uh, on that trip, and I've been praying for her all weekend, but Zach uh, has taken, and his team has taken 85 total people on multiple buses away to Loot New Life Ranch. And the special speaker this weekend was John Middendorf. So John got to preach to the youth group as his son is now a junior in the youth group. Is that right, Taylor? Is he a junior? Uh, so Pastor John got to go away and be away and speak uh, to our youth this week. And so that's another opportunity to let me have the opportunity to have this opportunity to speak to you. So this, this sermon series, he's been using clips from Dead Poet Society, and we'll get there in a few moments. But there's a couple of clips that I want to show you first. And I do have the, um, I guess I do have the platform. I guess I do have the stage. I do have the preaching moment. And so for me to set the stage for today, I want to show you a couple of clips. The first one means the most to me. Let me set the stage for you. It's 1994. It's the football season, and the Oregon Ducks are playing the mighty Washington Huskies. The Huskies have laid waste to the Ducks for our whole lives. They're the enemy from the north. They are the worst, and they always beat us. Every year, we can't get over the hump. They have their national championship. They lord over us. We are the little brother, and it is the worst. And... I am a huge Oregon Duck fan. And in 1994, I may have been at the height of my fandom of the Oregon Ducks. You see, my best friend, my dad's best friend, Jerry Jorgensen, his son became the quarterback at the University of Oregon. And Jerry Jorgensen was a, my dad's best friend. They shared a cart shed, cart shed number 86 at Shadow Butte Municipal Golf Course. And they were best friends. And his, his son grew up to be the quarterback. When, when, when Georgie graduated... He became the color commentator for the University of Oregon Ducks and has called the radio broadcasts for 30 years. So when I watch a duck game, I sync up the radio feed with the TV feed and I listen to my hero, Mike Jorgensen, the quarterback. And so they're calling this game. It's 1994. The Ducks have had their best season yet, but Washington is going to win the game. 
They're marching down the field. They're already ahead. They're ahead by just a few points, and it just looks like all is lost. And it's one more chance for the Ducks to lose to Washington and to ruin our year. And this happens. Kenny Wheaton is going to score the 20, the 10, touchdown. Kenny Wheaton, the most improbable conclusion to a football game. Oh, if you don't think that my heart races when this moment happens, and I bought my commemorative Kenny Wheaton's going to score jersey to put on all every football game, this is the moment that changed our lives. This is the moment when redshirt freshman intercepts Damon Heward and runs it all the way back for a touchdown. I think there was every penalty that could have been thrown for the celebration that happened. They, they threw that penalty flag. This is the moment. This changed everything. This moment in the history of the Oregon Ducks, when we snatched victory from the claws of defeat, everything changed. Up until this point, the Ducks had not been to a Rose Bowl since 1918. In 1994, because of this win, we went and put roses in our mouths and went to the Rose Bowl. You guys, everything changed. This is the moment when Phil Knight went to Coach Bilotti and said, this feels really good to be winners and not losers. What can we do to be winners and not losers? And everything changes. There are stories in every group of people that make culture-changing impact. They create identity and they shape futures. This is our story. And I knew it wouldn't resonate with some of you. So let me set the stage for a few others of you. It's 2001. It's the second weekend of October. The Sooners are up just a little bit on Texas. Something happens and and uh, Chris Sims and, and the Texas Longhorns take the field right next to their own goal line. And something happens. The Sooners, I think, are ahead 7-3 at this moment. And interesting enough, Brent Musburger says something along the lines at the beginning of the clip, you can't make a mistake here. And something happens. Cannot afford a mistake down here. They got 206 to work with. Longhorns with their timeouts left. Lehman showing blitz. There's the blitz. Touchdown, Lehman. Touchdown, Oklahoma. Williams got him on the blitz. Lehman on the pick. OU is going to win it again. Lehman bluffs. Williams gets the play.
This time, Lehman shows blitz and falls off for the freebie. What a play. What a play by Roy Williams. Uh, what an effort by Williams. Duncan. The extra point. Take a look at number 38. Why he's the premier safety in the land. Over the top of the blitz protector. It flutters. And Lehman strolls in. Oh, you roll it again. Do these guys ever lose a big game? Not today. I let that clip go a little bit longer because I wanted you to hear what Brent Musburger said. What did he say at the very end? Do these guys ever lose a big game? Not today. That moment, for many of you, becomes the moment that is the culture-making, defining moment, at least in my lifetime, for the University of Oklahoma Center football team. And you can't go to an OU football game without seeing that clip. Kelly, you're a graduate. Can you go, you go to the games. You've got season tickets. Every game, isn't that played before every game or a portion of that? It's remembered. It's the event. It's the event that creates identity. It's the event that shapes future. It's the event that allows people to understand who we are and what we're about. You can't go to an Oregon Duck football game and not watch the video clip of Kenny Wheaton's going to score, Kenny Wheaton is going to score. Now, when some of you saw Superman flying over and tackling Chris Sim and the ball flying in the air and Teddy Lehman taking it in, doesn't your heart race? Doesn't your heart say, this is who I am? We are the Sooners. We beat Texas. Isn't that the identity-shaping moment for you? When it all is seemingly lost, something's going to happen. We're going to make a way. Isn't, don't you call it Sooner magic? Right? Isn't this the moment that becomes... Something that you tie your identity to, and it's something that's amazing. Now, it, both of those plays were not huge offensive plays. They were moments when a defense takes this moment and everything changes. For the people of God, there is one story for our friends in the Old Testament who follow after Yahweh that is the culture-making event for the people of God. It shapes identity, it creates identity, and it shapes future. And it's called the Exodus event. This is the event that defines the people of God. It's the Exodus. When all seems lost, God is going to make a way for the people who've been enslaved for over 400 years, and He's going to bring them into the promised land. He's, gonna, he's going to remember His people, remember His covenant, and he's going to take a broken, enslaved, hurting people, and he's going to bring them into the promised land. And this is going to be the event, this is going to be the event that shapes the whole culture of the people of God. All of their holidays, all of their practices, everything is going to be shaped out of Exodus. Because God remembers his people. And God is going to bring his people from slavery to freedom into the promised land. And it's the Exodus event that becomes the way-making event for the people of God. It is this event that they hang their hats on. It's their anchor. Everything comes down to this. And the people of God are to understand themselves as not only does Exodus shape their future, but it creates their identity. They throw their anchor behind this event because this is how they understand who God is and who they are. 
And something important comes out of the Exodus. Even before the Ten Commandments are given, God comes to his people. And this is actually Exodus 19, 4 through 6. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. The people of God are saved and brought out and delivered from Pharaoh in Egypt and brought to the new promised land, not for their sake and not for the sake of freedom, but they have been given a task. It is their task to be priestly kingdom and holy nation. They are to be God's image in the world. It's why the second commandment is so important. Thou shalt not make or create any God in my own image. You know why? Because they are to be the image of God in the world. They, created in the image of God, are to be the image of God in the world. They are supposed to carry on them the character and quality of Yahweh. Because God took care of them in the desert and saved them, they are to take care of those who are on the margins. Because God went to them and saved them when they were at their worst, the mission of them is to follow after the mission and character of God, which is to save those who are most hurting, to save those who need the most help. That is their mission. See, they are saved in Exodus, not for their own sake, but they are saved to a mission. They are saved to a cause. They are to be priestly kingdom and holy nation. They are to take care of those on the margins because God took care of them when they were on the margins. They are given a commissioning. They are given a mission. Guys, the story of the Old Testament, so much of it is that they forget. That is the story of the Old Testament. The people of God have been chosen and have been blessed to be a blessing for all the world. They are given a mission to be a light to all the nations. And so much of the story of the Old Testament is how forgetful the people of God are. They forget their mission. They forget that God has blessed them to be a blessing. They forget that God has given them the ability and the blessing to take care of those on the margins because they've been given a mission that God has said, take care of those on the margins because I took care of you when you were on the margins. God is going to use a chosen people to change and to save the whole world. But the downfall of our friends in the Old Testament is our downfall today. It's that we're selfish and we're forgetful. And at the Old Testament people, they've been given this land. And the people of Judah and the people of the northern kingdom of Israel, they begin to face consequences of their selfishness, their idolatry, and the ways in which they think it's for themselves and not for others. And so the northern kingdom is destroyed. And Isaiah comes on the scene. And we're looking at Isaiah 1 today. And on Isaiah 1, you have a warning from a prophet in this dead prophet's society. A prophet comes to them and he says to them, you've forgotten your way. You're going through this as a routine, but it's useless. And God gets after them and he kind of yells at them and says, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices? 
In Isaiah 1.13, God kind of proclaims, he's really getting after his people through his prophets saying, I cannot adore, endure solemn assemblies with iniquity. Your new moons and your appointed festivals, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. A prophet comes and he tells his people, you've forgotten your story. You've forgotten your mission. I've placed you in this land to take care of others, and you're taking care of yourself. And if you don't mend your ways and change your ways, destruction is coming. And so he calls out to them, and he says, When I stretch out my hands, I will hide my eyes from you, even though you make many prayers. I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. The prophet comes. And he tells his people, if you don't change your ways, if you don't remember your stories, if you don't take after these practices as a way to shape who you are and not just something to check off in a box, then destruction is coming. And the prophet calls to his people and he says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove evil doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rescue the oppressed. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. These commands are all based on what they have said as their culture. What has been absolutely identified as their identity. And what has shaped their future and their habits and practices. He's not calling the habits and practices wrong. What he's calling wrong is that they're just doing them to check them off of a box, but they have not shaped who they are. And he gives them hope in the middle of it. And he says, come now, let us argue it out, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be like snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. And he calls them back to remember the stories and to remember their mission and to remember their call. Because people are forgetful and people are selfish. And so how do we today remember? How do we tell good stories? How do we remember the identity that has shaped us and calls us to be a particular type of people. One of the ways we do that is we tell good stories. And you did that this week with a walk through the Bible. I'm so grateful for so many of you with hundreds and hundreds of kids came through our Fall Fest. And the big ticket item is always our walk through the Bible. And when we tell the stories of God, some of you, many of you, have not participated in that, so I wanted to bring a little bit of that storytelling to you today. Because see, when you walk through and you get to this station, you see Abram and Sarai, and they tell a story that God's going to provide for them. And you see, God's going to provide for Sarai, but she kind of laughs at, the, at the, God's really going to provide for me? And Vinette, as Sarai says, I didn't laugh, I just gave a little snicker. And she takes that Snickers candy bar and she gives it to everyone who comes through. The next story. Oh, my goodness. This, you may not recognize this man, but this is Gerard Tashton, who has played Moses for so many years. 
And we tell the story of God's deliverance, that God will provide and God will come near. And we're not supposed to forget because God provides water from a rock and he takes that staff and he pounds this rock and he gives out gushers candies to the kids to remember the story. My favorite station this year was one in which McCall was a little lion on the far right. There's Kobe Emmerich. Daniel in the lion's den in exile. Guess what? God comes to his people yet again. He says, I'm going to make a way when there is no way. And I'm going to tell that story. And these lions, as ferocious as they're supposed to be, they just act like little kitty cats. And we give the kids Kit Kat bars. And then you've got David and Goliath. David, this is from a few years ago, or David's grown up a little bit. Uh, David, he uses his slingshot, and he hits Goliath right in the middle of the head. And they give the kids a whopper to remember God will make a way when there seems to be no way. And then a story that's probably the most significant one. And Ken and Laura Hardy have been there for years. They talk about Jesus and his life, and they talk about this moment of his death. And before we get to the resurrection, they're given a lifesaver. For Christ gives his life for us, that our life might be saved. And we tell the stories. And I want to say thank you, because you make the Bible come alive. And you tell the stories in ways that our children can remember that God is faithful, that God will come through, that God is present, and that God in Christ can save all of us and is there for us through the power and the promise of the resurrection. It's one of the reasons I love disciples so much and probably one of the biggest opportunities I get to be as your pastor is to do all of the opportunities for pastoral care, but also to teach this yearly Bible study because it's important to tell the stories because we don't just tell the stories for you to be smart and we don't just tell the stories for you to know them. But stories shape identities and create futures. As if we tell these stories, we don't want you to come and just check things off of a box. We come because we want our practices to shape us to reflect Jesus in the world. Just like our friends told the stories and participated in practices to shape them to be like Yahweh in the world in the same way, the habits and practices that we've set out for you each week. Our hope is that as you participate in them, you are shaped after the knowledge and the image and the action of God. This scripture in front of you from 1 Corinthians has been one all week that has come back to me. It says this, If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. I think this is our New Testament companion passage to Isaiah 1. He is saying, you can't just know about it. You have to embody it. Your stories that you listen must become the stories that set how you live in the world. And these practices in which you participate in are the ways in which you are formed into the kind of person that Christ wants us to be. 
And so it's in these moments, as we talk about disciple and reading your Bible, you don't read your Bible just to check off a off a list to say you've done it so you're holy. No, as you read the Bible, God through his spirit takes a hold of you and he shapes you into someone who reflects the God who we read in the stories. Prayer isn't something you just say, so you pray so you can check a box off so you can complete your holiness box. No, you pray so you know and can listen to God in your world and then you can be on this scavenger hunt of your life to pay attention to the God who is at work in your life. But if you don't take time to put your phone down and to listen and pray, you cannot hear God. It's not a box you check. It's a way you are formed into a person who looks like Jesus. And that's what happened to our friends in the Old Testament. They kept forgetting the stories and the practices became useless because they weren't formative. And we want your practices to be formative and we want your stories to create your identity and to shape your future. And so we come to All Saints Day and it's a day to remember. I'm going to play this in a second, Wes. There's a scene in this movie, Dead Poet Society, and you're not going to be surprised that it's my favorite scene because they're going to look back upon those that have gone before them and they're going to say, these poets, these prophets, how might they impact your life and what are they calling you to be in the world? So take a look at this clip. I'd like you to step forward over here. Peruse some of the faces from the past. You've walked past them many times. I don't think you've really looked at them. They're not that different from you, are they? Same haircuts, full of hormones, just like you. Invincible, just like you feel. The world is their oyster. They believe they're destined for great things, just like many of you. Their eyes are full of hope just like you. Did they wait until it was too late to make from their lives even one iota of what they were capable? Because you see, gentlemen, these boys are now fertilizing daffodils. But if you listen real close, you can hear them whisper their legacy to you. Go on, lean in. Listen. You hear it? <clears throat> And so on All Saints Day, as we remember the big story of Exodus, we also remember the other stories that shape and that form us. The people that have gone before us, who live into the story of Christ, who have gone before us into our great cloud of witnesses, they're just like us. 
but they've gone on. How do they impact our lives? You've walked by them in the hallways many times, but maybe you didn't see them. What are they calling out for you today? And so the close of our sermon is an opportunity for a response, just like those boys in Dead Poet Society. I'm going to be showing some black and white pictures of some of those who've gone before us. Might their story impact your story? May the lives that they lived impact the lives that you want to live. Might they be the prophets that call out to us? It's why I love doing funerals. I love it. It is the greatest honor of my life. 118 times I've stood before this congregation and I have laid someone to rest in the resurrection hope of our Lord. And every time I get the opportunity to narrate their life in light of Christ in hopes that those who've come can have open hands and say, maybe the Spirit can grab me even now and impact my life in light of Christ. May their story, the life that they lived, change something about me and make my life and practices change. Might their Kenny Wheaton or Roy Williams or Exodus story be that creation of identity and the way that our future is shaped. And so these pictures will be known to many of you, but for some of you, you may be a guest and you may not have known them. Can you in their eyes and in their pictures picture the people in your lives that are part of your great cloud of witnesses that have changed the way you understand and the way that you live? And young people, if you haven't had the experience of a difficult loss, might you picture an exemplar, someone who you look at in your life and say, that person looks like Jesus, and I want to look like them. And so this is an opportunity for response. We're going to get to the biggest story in a little bit as we conclude and move to Eucharist, but in these moments, might these lives, as you see their faces, have a chance to be impacted by their stories on All Saints Day. Wes Harmon. Straight shooter, missionary. You don't have time for me to give you biographies of each person. We'll be here till three. But man, do I want to. Wilma Cole. Catherine Cherry. Bob Troutman. Ruby Fulton. Houston Hall. Mary Ann Bell. Jerry Bell, right in the center. Paul Adams. June Adams. 
Gabby McKenzie. LaDonna Bennett. Ron Deck. Ron Wheeler. And Bob Coy. Could preach a sermon about each one and the story of their life. These two on the screen, ragamuffin straight shooters, guess what they did? They were saved by grace, and so they gave their lives to rescue those who needed grace. That's the story of their life. These two men, we buried Bob on Tuesday. Bob received a call to ministry in his 70s and rescued the prisoner rescued the oppressed, went into our jails and into our prisons in his 70s when he was in a walker and rescued lives. Why? Because God had rescued him. He had a story like the Exodus, and that story created his identity and shaped his future. And he participated in habits and practices that formed him into somebody who today we come and say, those two guys up there? May you look like them as they gave their life to look like Christ. Because at every funeral, I never say be like Bob or be like Ron or be like Ron. I have not said that. Because what I say is be like Jesus. For this is the story that creates our identity and that shapes our future. And if you're going to help today to share in the story and to share in the practice, why don't you go ahead and come and take your places? This is the story. The story of the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord in which we participate every week. This is the story that creates who we are. This is a story that shapes our future. This is the story and my hope and the practice that allows you to, with intentionality, come to the table and have it shape and form who you are. And so, Lord, would you bless these elements and would you transform them into a means of grace that we might be transformed by your grace and that as we Participate in this act of the taken, blessed, broken, and given life of God in the person of Jesus. Might you shape us to be the taken, blessed, broken, and given of people of God for the world. For as you've rescued us, God commissioned us in this moment to rescue the whole world. In a few moments, you're going to be asked to stand and come to your left and, and come down this aisle There'll be four stations up here and two stations in the back, and we participate in communion by what's called intinction. And if you could come to the, the person who's serving in front of you, they'll be having a, a bowl of, of matzah bread. We use matzah bread because it connects us to the Exodus story, unleavened bread. And we're going to break off a piece of that bread and place it in your hands. Come, please, with your hands cupped, for this is a gift for you to be received and not something that you can take or buy. And we're going to place that bit of matzah bread in your hands, and if you would then take it and dip it in the cup, and go ahead and eat it right then, and then you can take a seat, and you have a few different options there in that moment. 
But my prayer is that this weekly practice for you would be transformative and formative for you. And I want to challenge you like I've done in the past. I think I did this the last time I preached. Might you in these moments go back to your seat and, and could you pray and listen to God? I think that there's a temptation when you're done with communion to kind of be done with that part of the service and you can make sure your fantasy football players are not injured and ready for the lineup just right before they kick off at noon. I got a couple last there. Probably hit too close to home for some, including me. Could you maybe put your phone down and, and could you focus on what God may have for you? How God can take this moment, this practice, to transform your life in Christ. And it can create your identity and shape your future. After you're done, you can, you can pray here at this altar. It's a very appropriate thing to do if you'd like to pray here at these kneeling benches. Or we have a couple of padded benches over here. And it'd be an opportunity for you if you'd like to, after you partake in this, this Lord's Supper and this Eucharistic moment, you can go to these benches. And if you'd like to pr a prayer for healing, you can go to those benches. And someone will pray a prayer for healing for you. If you'd also like to be remembered of this story of the your identification with the death and resurrection of Jesus, there is this bowl here of water, this baptistry bowl. If you'd like to place your hands there and be jolted to remember your story of what God has done for you and how he commissions you to do that for others, you can do that as well. We participate in this gluten-free matzah and non-alcoholic grape juice so all may feel like they can come and be served. This table is open to everyone who feels like they need God in the world. You can come to the table of the Lord. For on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. Remember me. On that same night, he takes the cup and redefines it as a new covenant in his blood. Given for the remissions of sins and he says, take and eat, do this in remembrance of me. And so, God, in these moments, might we remember you and might you call us to the life that you lived. If you would please stand and move towards the table of the Lord. He is calling us to remember you.